So we come today to uh, hear the words, the teachings of Christ. All summer we'll be uh, diving in, uh, studying deeply uh, the, the words that uh, Jesus preached, that Jesus shared in his Sermon uh, on the Mount. These are important words for every one of us, spoken some 2,000 years ago, but they are as, uh, as current as, as today. And so we encounter uh, Christ teachings. And we understand that those uh, teachings are revolutionary in every way. And as we uh, encounter these words, we, we know that there will be a degree of inspiration. We'll also know that there'll be a, a high degree of challenge. Christ's intention was to, to, uh, to bring us to the place of, a, of a, a, a sure knowledge of the very things that God would have us to know and how God would have us to, to lead our lives. Uh, we, um, we know that uh, Christ, uh, the very teachings, uh, brings us to the place where we are able to reflect uh, the very uh, sort of countenance, to act in the sort of ways that God would have us to, to, to be about in this life. The passage of Scripture that we consider today uh, has to do with the law. And Christ says very clearly that, that he did not come to abolish the law. Even though he was uh, very revolutionary in his uh, presentation uh, about the law, uh, he says very clearly that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So let's dive in. We'll read today about such things from Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Let's hear this from God's Word. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's Word. May it be a deep and abiding blessing to each of us, not only as we hear this Word read, but as we make effort now to take our lives and apply them to it. What Jesus is really talking about here in this discussion about the fulfillment of the law is the difference between law, law and gospel. Jesus differentiates between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Jesus talks about the importance of relationship over religion. He doesn't just consider things on the outside and how we do, but he considers what's going on in the inside as well. Jesus is very much concerned about the disposition of our hearts. I like the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where Calvin's mom tells him, Your Highness, you're filthy. To the tub you go. The next slide has Calvin 
in the tub, but with no water. And from a distance he hears, and let's hear some water running. For she knows that there's no way you're going to get a bath unless there's some water running. That's the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. I like the poster of the little girl standing in front of a, of a burning house with a caption that says, Mommy told me not to play with any matches. She didn't say anything about, uh, about the lighter. Well, that's the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Just this week, our son John took a school administrator's exam. He had to study one Kentucky state statute after another. He commented that even the shortest statute was at least 10 pages in length. Somewhere in all those words was the spirit of what was intended. Joe Wright, at the beginning of the pandemic, read almost all 850 pages of the federal government's payroll protection program. That's at least what, what he told me. He did read a lot of them, I assure you. Somewhere in the midst of all those pages was the spirit of what was intended. You, you have heard that the devil is in the details. That is oftentimes the case when we are overly concerned about fulfilling the seas of the law instead of its spirit. The Pharisees of Christ's day were all about the letter of the law. They did everything in their power to maintain their righteousness, or so they thought, by following the law down to the minute detail. Jesus recognized very quickly that they were missing the boat. They knew that their heart was not at the right place. Jesus recognized that their relationship was, was suffering, not only with God, but with other people as well. The Apostle Paul, in commenting about such things, says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Christ has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Paul knew that only Christ can provide a restored relationship with God. Paul is the one who puts us uh, at a place of considering uh, the new covenant that is, uh, is ours in, in, in Jesus Christ. It is Christ that, that puts us in the embrace of God's deep and abiding love. Through Christ, we are at once reconciled with God for all time, not just in this life, but for all eternity. Jesus is the one who puts us in the embrace of a brand new covenant where his perfection covers our imperfections every time. No amount of trying to earn God's favor will make us right before God. Our striving to earn that favor only puts the focus on us and what we're doing instead of upon, upon God and what he has done through Jesus Christ. What God asks for is a sweet surrender, a surrender to the grand provision that he offers in and through his son. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to provide a way for it to be fulfilled in our lives. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers 
six examples of moving from the letter of the law to its fulfillment. Just as we said with the Beatitudes, you will need to read and, and study this entire section, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 48. You're going to need to dig deeply. We could spend weeks on end talking about what Jesus shares in this wonderful passage of Scripture from his Sermon on the Mount. So let me give you some homework. You, you need to take out your Scripture and, and read very carefully. Look forward to digging deeply. Seek other commentaries. Uh, I encourage you to read Matthew 5, 17 through 48. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about the law and the fulfillment of the law, and he does so by, by lifting up uh, varied laws from in and around the Old Testament. He, he, um, he talks about murder. He talks about adultery. He talks about divorce. He talks about integrity, about retribution. And then finally, he, he talks about uh, love, loving those that are really, really tough to love. And talking about each of these, Jesus goes from preaching to meddling. He doesn't just mention the law, but he talks about the fulfillment of each of those laws. And, and, in, and in so doing, he goes from just preaching to meddling. He not only talks about the letter of the law, but he digs much deeper, pointing us to a much more challenging way. Let's take his, take his discussion about murder, for instance. He leads with that. Jesus quotes the, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not be, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus then goes on to talk about being angry with another person and hurling insults their way. Most of those who listened to Jesus there on the mount hadn't committed murder. And quite honestly, uh, all of us would agree to the same. They figured, just like we do, that they were in pretty good stead when it came, thou shalt not murder. It was easy to hear. It's easy to hear th that great commandment, thou shalt not murder, particularly if we had not murdered anybody. And so we just rest in that and, and move on. But Jesus is not content to stay there. He goes from preaching to meddling. Jesus begins to, to talk about, uh, about anger. And as people heard Jesus talk about being angry with, with others, it became a little tougher to, to listen to him. He even talked about insulting others and, and thinking less of our brothers and sisters than we should. And with that, everyone began to squirm. And as we consider the places and times where we are angry and those places and times when we are insulting others, we, we begin to consider that sort of fulfillment of the law and we too begin to squirm because we understand that we fall woefully short when it comes to such things. Well, that's the way it is when you seek to, to fulfill the law, not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Those who hear Jesus and what it means to fulfill the law learn certain things. They learn that, that anger is just as murderous as murder itself, that lust is just as adulterous as adultery itself. 
that there is no easy way out when it comes to divorce. No, be that integrity means letting your yes be yes and your no be no, none of this veiled stuff, just your yes be yes and your no be no, that you're living and speaking as a person of integrity. Those who hear Jesus on what it means to fulfill the law learn that as tough as it is to turn the other cheek, that it's a far better response than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. When Jesus begins to, to wrap up his discussion, uh, as he moves uh, through uh, all sorts of, of laws, he, uh, he wraps us up his discussion by, by offering a, a supreme fulfillment of love. He begins to, to talk about love. You would think that as, as Jesus begins to talk about love, that, that things would be a lot more palatable, that we would get some relief from uh, some of the, the ways that he challenges us to, to not just uh, hold to the letter of the law, but to, but to live out the spirit of the law. Certainly, as he talks about love, we're, we're not given that relief. In fact, he, he challenges us to no end. You would figure that a, that a simple discussion about love would not be nearly as challenging. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Jesus challenges us deeply in his discussion about love. So you remember the, the Pharisee that came to Jesus one day. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandments in the law? And Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so the law can be summed in, in two things, love for God and love for neighbor. Of all the laws Jesus references in his Sermon on the Mount, those that had to do with murder, adultery, divorce, integrity, and retribution, all of these hang on the two commandments of love for God and love for neighbor. You know, as I dug more deeply into things, as I began to let the Scripture speak to me, uh, reading these verses from Matthew 17 through 48, I, I found that, that the, the, the challenge of love, the test of love, really could be applied to every one of these laws, whether it's murder, adultery, divorce, integrity, retribution, Love could, could then be brought in and, and could, could be seen as the supreme fulfillment of those laws. So let's pause and see how Christ applies the test of love to, to say, his discussion about murder. You can make sure that the same application of love, the test of love, could be applied to every one of the laws that that Christ reference in this, references in this very important passage of Scripture. He says in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, you have heard that it's, that it's been said, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Sure. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment as well. 
You and I know that anger abounds these days and is murderous in every way, literally and figuratively. This is an angry, harsh, and an, and an insensitive time in which we live. The pandemic, along with all the, the racial strife that continues to, to, to rear its head, has, has brought all of that stuff about anger to James writes in, in James 1, verses 19 and 20, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now hear that, the righteousness that God desires. And really when Jesus is talking about the law, or better put, the fulfillment of the law, he's really talking about the sort of righteousness that God desires. In talking about the fulfillment of the law, Jesus is really talking about such things as the deep righteousness that God so desires for our lives. Jesus knew that the currents of anger that so often well up within our own hearts and lives, if left unresolved, don't do anyone any good at all whether it applies to us as the one who is angry or those who are around us. Those currents have the potential to be downright destructive and in some cases just as murderous as if we had killed somebody. The same could be said of insults. Jesus references that also in, in Matthew 5, 22. Who of us would argue that the, the bullying that is so prolific and among school children these days, isn't destructive. It is destructive. Insults levied in, in, in politics are, are destructive as well. You and I know that politics can, can be downright slanderous. And we excuse it because, well, it's, it's just politics. In all these things and in so much more, Jesus contends that nothing short of forgiveness. Yeah, he's he states the law, and then he gives a couple of examples, and then he brings us to the, to the real fulfillment of the law. He contends that nothing short of forgiveness will do. This, how, is the surest test of love. Jesus knew just how critical forgiveness is. He knew that forgiveness on the horizontal plane is just as important as forgiveness on the vertical plane. In fact, he contends that before we go to the Lord, we need to get things square with our brothers and sisters. Now that's fulfilling the law. Jesus states a law, do not murder, and then he begins to bring us to a much deeper place where the law is indeed fulfilled. And we can apply that in, in, in all the instances that he lists in this this Matthew 5, 17 through 48, as well as many, many more. So let's talk about love just a bit. Jesus sort of wraps up this section with a, with a really challenging discussion about love. Love for God and love for neighbor is an antidote for a multitude of, uh, of transgressions. Love is never easy. Turning the other cheek is tough. It's one thing to go one mile for somebody, but to go a second mile, that's a whole other thing entirely. Love puts us to doing just that. 
I think Jesus really pushes things. He really pushes them, pushes us to, out to the, to the very edge. You've, you've heard it said, he, he says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Now, let's not gloss over that. He tells us, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Who of us can do that? Who can do that without the help and strength that God offers through his son? The love Jesus talks about is way beyond us, save for what God can do in us and what God can do through us. You see, God's love overwhelms us. It begins right there. Ability. God's love showers upon us, it rains upon us, and gives us the, the ability to be gracious in every circumstance. God's love cuts against the grain of every human inclination, where it is very human to lash out against those who, uh, uh, who are enemies, those, those who are against us. It's, it's everything in us to, to, to not pray for those people, but to, but to have enmity toward them. God's love cuts against every human inclination, every human inclination to be less than loving, particularly when it comes to those who are tough to love. And he helps us overcome. He helps us to, to, to do things and to relate in, in ways that we never thought were possible because his love comes reigning in and because his love has come showering into to our lives, then we are able to share the same with those who are around us. Christ's instruction, not Christ's suggestion, but Christ's instruction is to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Now that speaks to this present circumstance of if, if anything does, nothing is more powerful or promotes more change than love itself. Martin Luther King Jr. took this to heart in leading the, the civil rights movement in the 1960s. He, he wrote, we must evolve for all human conflict, a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. For nearly 30 years, at the end of the, the 19th century, along the borders of, of Kentucky and West Virginia, a feud raged between the Hatfields and McCoys. Synonymous names, Hatfield and McCoy, used in the same breath, have become synonymous with the squabbles between rival parties, be it family or otherwise. Such feuds are not limited to the remote areas of Appalachia. In some bygone era, feuds happen all the time. Family is pitted against family. Tribe is pitted against tribe. Race against race. Nation against nation. It's just a part of the, the human scene. Surely there is a higher way. And Jesus says there is. And that way is the way of love even the, the sort of depth of love to where we are able to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. It shouldn't surprise us that uh, Jesus concludes 
his discussion about the fulfillment of the law with a call to perfection. Now, it'd be, we'd be good, we'd do well to not gloss over that. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Not talking about making a squirm. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I've always thought that this stuff of being perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect is a lifelong process. In fact, as United Methodists, uh, it is a deep uh, underpinning of our Methodist theology. We, we talk about something called going on to perfection. I've always understood that as, as, as becoming more and more like Jesus. In fact, those who are ordained as United Methodist clergy are asked a, a set of historic questions that stem from the, the, the days of Wesley. And one of those questions is, are you going on to perfection? And the answer is, with God's help, I am. Am I going on about perfection? God is always at work, always at work to bring about His good purposes for our lives, particularly when it comes to love. If we so allow Him, He visits Himself upon our lives, works in us and through us to where love is being perfected in us. Think about that. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's not a sinless perfection. We're going to blow it all the time. Are you being perfected? Are you allowing yourself to be perfected in the very power and presence of Christ? Are you different now than you were yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago? Is it that Christ is, is, is at work in your life molding and shaping you to bring you to this place where you're being perfected? God is always at work to bring us to the place where we are able and empowered to meet the high calling that He places upon our lives, whether it's in dealing with our anger, checking our lust, holding true to our commitments, living with integrity, even turning the other cheek, or loving those who are impossible to love. As God's love showers upon us, that same love flows through us to the end that those around us are deeply touched. And in that, we find law fulfilled. The very law of God, that we would love Him, and that we would love neighbor, that it would be fulfilled in us. So we lay ourselves before the Lord. We know that all of this is beyond us. Maybe, just maybe, the letter of the law could be our law. The Pharisees tried and, and failed, but maybe for us we could hold to the letter of the law. But what about the Spirit? And it's only in, in the very power of God through Christ and in the Holy Spirit that we are able to get to that place of fulfilling the law in our lives. And as we do, we will find ourselves heading on to that perfection, becoming more and more like Christ. We will be as God has so designed us to be. Let's pray together.
And God, we thank you. We thank you for your deep and abiding uh, desire to, to woo us uh, your way, to bring us into relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you above all things for sending your son, Jesus, who makes that possible. Lord, we pray that as our lives are given to Christ, that you would make us over, that we would truly be different, that we would uh, find ourselves becoming more and more like him. So God, we pray that you put us to doing as you would have us to do, not just uh, seeking to, to keep to the letter of the law, but that we would be all about holding fast to the spirit of the law. Direct us in that, we pray. Empower us in that. Enable us in that. We do thank you for the opportunity to be in relationship with you, and to let you have your way to the end that we indeed would become more and more like your son. This prayer we make in the name of Jesus. Amen.